0: Hello and welcome to the Testing Peers podcast. Today we're going to be talking about retrospectives and our experiences that we've had with them, good and bad. Tonight I have the full Monty, I have Chris, Hello! Simon, Hello! Russell, Hello! and myself. The Testing Peers podcast is kindly sponsored by Saffron QA. Saffron QA is a provider of recruitment and consultancy services, exclusively for the software testing community. More details can be found in the show notes.
1: So, Chris, what are we going to talk about first before we get to the topic? Well, I was thinking about the past and how it seems to inspire a lot of music. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of the song Looking Back Over My Shoulder. No. Yep. Don't sing it, Chris. See, it's a great song. There, There are actually a lot of songs that focus on nostalgia And while I don't want to focus on songs, it was just my little intro. I was wondering if you've ever had anything in your life that was like a big thing that happened to you, maybe only in your mind that sometimes comes back and haunts you when you're trying to go to sleep or something, like something that you did that maybe you're embarrassed about or that it became life altering, like almost like an aha moment. We're not talking about like testing at this point, that will come. Maybe there's something that's finally worked something out. I mean, the day I discovered that the um, clothing brand was Tommy Hilfiger, not Tommy Figer, all of a sudden nobody laughed at me. That was quite a big moment for me as a teenager. But I wonder just looking back, if there was anything that you particularly found, sort of like a profound moment that just grabbed you and changed your opinions on things.
2: I can give you an example of the same sort of Misunderstanding of the language. I was a kid, of probably about 15 or 16, and singing a song loudly on a long journey abroad with my family and my sister sat next to me. And it was about um, achy-breaky heart. And this is how northern I am, I guess. I always thought the lyrics were my eggy-bready heart. <laughs> <laughs> and so I sang this full pelt in the back of a car driving along, and my sister just burst out absolutely bawling around, laughing her head off. And I couldn't understand why until she spent the next 10 minutes after she regained her sense of calm, um, explained to me that I got the lyrics wrong. And I had been singing that song quite loudly for quite a long or few years. It was, and I was quite old at the time, relatively speaking. So that had, um, that had reinvigorated my life and it meant that now I think the song lyrics correctly, but every time I hear it, I kind of laugh at myself. So I I guess I've learned a lesson, which is I'm terrible at listening at lyrics of songs and that. Not to worry about what people think and just enjoy
1: it. Good life lesson. Yeah, it was good.
0: I can probably regale quite a few examples of misheard song lyrics as well That in my life. One thing, when I was very little and learning how to speak, I couldn't say hospital. I used to say hospital for many years, and so I struggled with that. Yeah, my sister would ridicule me, and eventually I could say it. But um, yeah, it did haunt me for a bit. We're obviously anchoring each other
3: on language examples, because I can think of a couple really that... The first one, I remember being very little, so like four or five. I was in Clapton on Sea on holiday. I got in my head that the pier was called the Pioneer. And I just kept calling it the Pioneer. And it wasn't until my gran corrected me in fits of hysterics that it was a pier, not a Pioneer. You know, it's those kind of moments where you realise you then learn that word and you never get it wrong again.
2: I still sung those lyrics wrong every time, just for the fun of it.
3: <laughs> and the song lyrics thing reminds me of the Peter Kay live at the Blackpool Tower where he does the sketch with all the
1: Misheard lyrics, and misheard stuff, lyrics. Yeah.
3: It's hilarious. I'm sure that there's many song lyrics that I've got wrong as well, but I can't think of any off the top of my head. Clothes brandings, Nike. Nike was one that I used to frequently get wrong and get laughed at by friends for saying the wrong one. As all teenagers get mocked for things like that. Yeah, I can't think of a single aha moment as you suggest, Chris. So,
1: well, there's there's other things though, isn't there? Like, I mean, when I was younger, I had no concept of saving money. Um, like I felt like. It almost without thinking I thought once money was in my account that was my I, it was there to be spent before suddenly it wasn't there. Burning a hole in your pocket you know I'd get paid and I knew I had to put petrol in my car and I knew I had to buy a certain amount of food to try and survive but it could be two or three days and I pretty much spent everything having paid bills and what have you obviously very sensible first. I sometimes didn't pay my bills first. So I got in some various elements of hot water as a result of not doing those things. And actually the sort of aha moment was when my now wife just said, have you thought about doing a budget? And I avoided those things because quite frankly, the thought of looking at my bank account and my outgoings and other things like that horrified me. And I was happy that I was even able to continue to exist and feed myself and have a roof over my head and just kind of not look at the bank account and just sort of hope that things would be all right. Like, you know, head buried in the sand sort of thing. And actually doing a budget remarkably got me to the point where I'd had to chop up credit cards and I had to phone in sick from work because I couldn't afford the petrol in my car to get there to the point where I was able to get a mortgage like that's quite a nice turnaround and that's because of simple money matters things and eventually being able to earn more money but certainly I didn't care until I'd done budgets and didn't really feel any self-worth along those lines so that was quite a big thing for me and that was because of a very influential person in my life slapping me about a bit metaphorically she didn't actually hurt me just made she berated me and told me I was being stupid don't get me wrong That and she was right are we done have we looked back enough would we like to actually be sensible well look back on how we might look back properly in look back properly and actually practically in a way that's actually useful perhaps our esteemed agilist Russell Cracksford would like to just inform us what his experiences or his expectations of where retrospective actually is. Just, just just, what one is, Russell.
2: Oh, that's a very, very good high level question to be honest with you. I've never really thought of it from that perspective. Usually in the agile sense, it's about reflecting back on the activities that have just been undertaken. Probably in scrum, it would be a sprint, but it could just be any sort of form of reflection over a period of time box. Generally done as a team in order to kind of reflect. It generally has certain rules within it. They may not be spoken rules. But, you know, you're generally not belittling people. You're generally not bullying people. You're generally talking about the things in which you can add value to rather than the company to sack the CTO. That sort of thing doesn't help constructively do anything. It's without of the team's powers. So you look at what you can do as individuals to help enable that team. And generally, yeah, as I said, you're looking at the team versus individuals. It's not Dave did a bad job. Dave did a great job. Sometimes, you know, you do give kudos. You just reflect and ultimately you come away with the list of changes or actions or activities that you either want to do the same or do differently.
3: Yeah, I think for me that the key part with the retrospective is the actionable items that you come out with that you can change as part of the inspect and adapt process.
2: I've done retrospectives, I'd say, when all that's come out of it is kudos, pats on the back and things. And sometimes it depends on the team and where they are in their journey that some sprints like that can actually be quite valuable because sometimes you feel like you're, all you're doing is picking Mm. On everything, sometimes you've got to reflect on actually the positives far, far more than than tiny, niggly little things.
1: Do you think the um, format of a retrospective therefore can anchor the way that you approach the conversations and the topics?
2: Yeah, I think format. I think the facilitator has a large part to play in it as well, and the participants. Ultimately, the facilitator has a large thing, and that can be setting the question. I think a lot of us look kind of at the what's going well, what's going badly. Good, what should continue. the sort of format that people do with retrospectives. It's good to change that up, but you've got to kind of adapt it. Um, if you ask the same questions every time, you're going to get the same answers from the same group of people. So like everything, you should adapt. And there's lots of fun games you can play. Again, it's about picking when you do it. If you've got a newly formed teams, I think sometimes playing some of the games can be a bit too soon, too fast. You haven't built the bonds and relationships. But if you've got an experienced team, then I think it's quite a lot of fun retrospective ideas that you can experiment with.
0: I think the key thing with the facilitator is that the group need to have confidence in them that they can run the retrospective and that obviously grows with time if it's a newly formed group mm. that confidence has to be there that the facilitator has the strength to run it successfully and to move it along and time boxes and keep it going
2: I'm always keen that facilitators certainly ones if I'm facilitating or being in one is not putting their views into everything and also not really a main participant so we've all probably been in when the manager basically comes in and just basically went, no, that's a bad idea. Nope, can't do this. Nope. And it's a very powerful, and dangerous position at the same time. You've got to facilitate the team. You're generally not um, an active member of it. You know, you're helping them come up with ideas, not telling them how to do things. It's hard sometimes when you've got ideas that can help them. So it's about making sure you find constructive ways of asking questions generally rather than giving answers in those sessions. What would be a good way of improving our communication with X team and asking us open questions versus saying, I think you should do an email that sets out the communication channels in which we want to use and how we want to do them. Mm. It's, it's a fine line to nudge teams without telling teams.
0: Because actually the other thing is the fact that the team should come up with the ideas themselves rather than be dictated to by the facilitator or whoever. There yeah. shouldn't be a dominant party. The key thing for me in retrospect is, is that everyone has an equal voice and yeah. that everyone should have the courtesy of taking it on. Like, as I said, it shouldn't be personal, but there can be constructive feedback that should be taken on board by the whole team.
3: Yeah, I, I go back to point you made just there, Russell, about manager coming in and calling the shots. I actually, as the facilitator, when I was a scrum master, actually asked a manager to leave the retrospective because exactly that reason. They come in and they want to dispute every point, their question, everybody's answer. If they've got anything negative, they wanted to come in and see that everything was going swimmingly, that there was no issues, that we could move on to the next sprint and all the work could be done again. The fact that the team were coming up with issues, that there was an expectation of too many stories or whatever it was, or why, why is that the case? And I was just like, can you let the team do this, please? I took a verbal hiding afterwards in that moment, but I, I was willing to stand up for the team and say, the team needs that space to come up with their own points and be able to voice their concerns in a safe environment that we can then move forward and if there's concerns it doesn't necessarily mean they have to go to the manager afterwards the, the concerns can stay within the team and be resolved within that team as part of the retrospective doubt they don't have to then be escalated up and that sometimes for me is one of the hard parts of making Agile and Scrum and the retrospective process of work is there's an expectation that you're going to come out of that retrospective with a list of outputs that somebody else can review. And I sometimes feel that that needs to stay within that team, that they're working on it themselves to build, to move themselves forward.
1: It depends on how the team works, isn't it? Because sometimes the teams use the retrospective to come up with um, sort of rules by which they're going to work by, be, be it charters or be it, be it other sorts of things. And they actually publish it like on their team wall, their team page. And so, it's, so it is public. But sometimes you're right. Sometimes there are things that stay within those confines. And it, it's a delicate balance at times as to who has access to those sorts of things and who, who even publishes those bits. There's a trust element involved in the team, isn't there?
2: Usually do the Chris in that. Scenario: You've got an action or something that's come out in the retrospective to create the team charter, versus hmm. that you created the team charter in the retrospective itself. I find it useful to kind of almost have a directive of what the retrospective is, what the rules of the retrospective, because it's easy for everyone, especially when you get leaders, team leaders, managers into these things. As I say, um, I've always found that they're the most derailing because they think they should be leading everything that's kind of counterintuitive and they've got great ideas it's just getting them to be open with them and encourage them and it varies depending upon their role in the team if they're actually active team members or if they're leaders mm. looking at the team mm. they have different rights and as that facilitator you've got to facilitate them accordingly i think be the correct right way of saying it
1: this sort of leads then into the question of if we start off with what in your experience has led to an unsuccessful retrospective?
3: I would say an unsuccessful retrospective that I've experienced in the past is one where 75% of the team don't say anything, that you get the same one or two people that have got things to say in every category. The retrospective has not been prepared, not that you always have to be prepared fully for a retrospective, but it's good to come with your ideas that you want to put on the board. And if people haven't come with any ideas, they will generally sit there in silence because they've got nothing to say. And a retrospective, although you can't force everyone to speak, is a good opportunity for everyone to have their minute or two to discuss the things that they felt went well and didn't go well or whatever the format is. So I've certainly had retrospectives that we've ended in 15 minutes because it's just become part of the ceremonies that they feel they have to do. They just want to get on with the next
1: sprint. So it's been plugged into predictable and sort of like obligation rather than yeah
3: and it's been plugged into you know we finished the sprint on the friday monday morning is retrospective and sprint planning so let's do this retrospective really quickly then we can get onto the sprint planning and so it's been done in 10 minutes and then we've moved on because people haven't got anything to say because they've not come prepared and the same voices end up speaking up
2: i must admit, i'm finding at the moment retrospective is a bit more challenging um, remotely I've just formed a new team uh, not so long ago with other people. It's not all my own work. It's a challenge, obviously, because you don't know each other as well. There's not necessarily camera culture, so you can't see people visibly. As much as we encourage it, internet connections aren't always possible. And it's really hard sometimes to get everyone joining in as much as possible. It is a challenge because usually in a meeting room, you can kind of see how people are reacting to the situation. You know, if you could bring in John Joe over here, or if you could, you know, ask Caroline to join in. But when you've got a group of people not on camera in a room, you hardly know at all. It's incredibly hard to find the right balance. To Simon's point, it's about giving people the time so they can write some things down. Almost going around the room sometimes to kind of encourage at least that initial conversation. And sometimes it is patience as well. It's that, okay, that first one, they won't. The second one, maybe they will. The third one, hopefully by then they have. And they get to know you. the facilitator usually. And so you can get people involved in a soft and gentle way, which is you know, asking someone else if they've got an opinion who hasn't spoken.
0: Some things that have prevailed retrospectives that I've been in, again, I go back to the point of, sort of weak facilitators, you know, facilitators who don't, like Russell said, encourage people to speak if they have been quiet for a long time or more destructively allowed two people to dominate it and have conversations that are not relevant to that actual retrospective. So therefore the time just chugs down. All meetings should have something that's useful that comes out of it. If it's just two people having a discussion that they could have had anywhere else, then actually it isn't a good use of time. So therefore it then erodes what the group feel that a good retrospective is. And that's very difficult to then gain back especially if it's supposed to be a high performing team for me the retrospective
3: if agile is done properly or if any process is done properly the retrospective is the most important part of the, the process because it is a chance for you to reflect and improve it is the for me it's almost the single most important part of the process so yeah you're right if it's if it's been derailed by two people talking about something that may or may not be related to the what the retrospective was about or it's diving too deep into a particular topic it does yeah you say set the tone and then it's very difficult to come back from that once once one retrospective has gone badly the next retrospective is looked at they're looking towards it as being another negative meeting before it actually happens and it's very difficult to get back
0: and that's the time to then change things with it don't go by the same way that that meeting was run because otherwise people will automatically switch off and go oh my god it was awful last time it's going to be awful this time
1: this is talking about changing up the formats isn't it This yeah do stuff differently don't just do it in a repetitive and predictable manner. And I think the most unsuccessful retrospectives I've been a part of have either been when I as the facilitator have managed to get almost nobody to engage, or me as the attendee have been highly disengaged because either lots of people have been talking, or frankly the format of the meeting has been something that I'm a bit sort of meh. Maybe I haven't seen success coming out of it. Maybe it's repetitive, or maybe it just feels like going through the motions and I just want it to end.
2: It's a good point though, Chris. If you don't see actions come out of them, you don't see change because of them, that's another driver that puts people off. It's very easy to have a a session where you do retrospectives, but if all the actions are impossible or minute, sometimes you stop seeing the value because nothing changes. And it is, you've got to be careful about kind of what you set yourself as a challenge, what you set yourself as the actions as a team to do. You can overcommit or you can undercommit and either one causes you to kind of
1: It's like providing your own credibility for the meeting.
2: And it's an accountability
3: thing as well. If the team come up with these actions that they come out of the meeting with, we're going to do... And I think there's a thing there about not having too many actions as well, having a manageable list of one or two that you're going to change rather than having 10. But there's that accountability of, okay, we said we're going to do one or two. By the time that retrospective comes around, or even in the planning session, we're going to plan to do these two actions. What can we do to ensure we factor that into our work? what can we do to make sure but by the time we come to review it in two weeks time or whenever the end of the sprint is or the next retrospective we've got something tangible to say we made that change and this is the improvement it's having so there, there is the importance of making
0: sure that accountability is built into those goals I think that one thing to show a sort of failure of retrospectives or the failure of the actions is if the same things every retrospective come up absolutely if you constantly having the similar things that are coming up each time it's showing that actions are not being taken on what is seen in the group as the most important things and that needs to be addressed and i had exactly that with one of my
3: teams when i was uh, i don't i wasn't scrum master at this point i was one of the team members but it was to do with our remote working with our team that were offshore in india and there was constantly the same issues of lack of engagement you know lack of being able to contact them etc etc cetera. Et cetera. And we were going away trying to change things. But ultimately, within a sprint, we'd fallen back into the old habits again. And then it was coming up in the, in the retrospectives. And each time we were trying to say, OK, well it's not working. How can we improve this? And it took five or six cycles of the people getting fed up with having the same comments come back and forth before anything actually changed.
2: I guess it's good that different things were tried. If you keep doing the same solution to the same problem, then that would really frustrate me. I've got a question for you all, really, um, which allows me to be quiet after this. Our retrospective is as important now as they were because I'm finding that with experienced teams who've been doing agile for a while, they are reflecting as they go and they're actually having a session after two weeks, three weeks, one week, whatever your iteration is, is less valuable because they're actually doing actions and changes consistently and on the fly and that the meeting's lost its value to some teams because there isn't and as need to frequently stop because they're stopping constantly. It's maybe the move to more Kanban more that's helping them. This concept of always stopping and doing the thing is less valuable because they're doing it as they go.
3: Yeah, in that respect, the retrospective process is evolving to the point where the meeting is maybe not as useful, but the retrospective itself is still being done in other forms. It's a more organic process. In my experience, having worked in places where agile is paid lip service to rather than being done properly I think the retrospectives are still very important I can't speak for highly agile teams I've not been in one so but from my perspective perspective I still see the value others may not I still think there's a definitely a feeling that the retrospective is the fluffy meeting where people talk about feelings and process and it's not about the actual work and people care more about the work and that's sometimes a difficult mindset to get the team to switch to realize that if we improve the processes, then more things will happen. You know, the team will work better together, et cetera, et cetera.
1: You're probably in trouble if that's the mindset, I imagine. But the point with a specific meeting for a retrospective, rather than just doing them, is that most of what we've been talking about as a sort of an agile thing has been out of the scrum guide, the ceremonies that we do. And actually, to be truly agile doesn't require a single ceremony. It's all about the mindset. So it's all about being ready, being adaptable. Yes, we're constantly inspecting and adapting and changing, which is actually on the Scrum Guide, I think. If you're naturally being retrospective, then sure, don't have a meeting. You, As a team, you've said this isn't actually useful for us because we're already doing those sorts of things. And it's the same with like the, the stand-up format. It doesn't have to be a daily update meeting. It can be something that's useful for the team. And the same with planning and stuff. Like If it becomes natural for you to work in that way, you become like hyper-agile if you like, or whatever. I've never seen it, but I've heard great things. I aspire to the, those those in the teams with which I work. I have seen retrospectives be successful, and I've seen retrospectives be good for the team, but I've also seen a bunch of people who have talked about doing personal retrospectives and found a great deal of success in looking back at themselves, their own strengths, their own goals, their own aspirations, which has helped them refocus their careers or try and work out what to do next. It isn't just a team thing. And I I was wondering if you have any examples of retrospective successes, either team ones or indeed personal ones. So I've encouraged my group to do retrospectives
0: on projects that they finish based just on their personal experiences and looking only at test and what's actually happened with that and keeping an eye on that and we can then do a lessons learned for future projects that we work on especially with particular clients and things like that I do encourage that as part of that
1: have you have you been able to action any of those lessons learned going forward
0: as like we're uh... still at the beginning of that process but um but yeah I've got an example of both
3: really from a team retrospective perspective the most successful one I had was when I had a team that were really not engaged in the process so I completely switched it up I changed it around and what I did was, as an icebreaker, in the first five minutes of the meeting, I gave everyone a blank piece of paper. And I said, you've got five minutes, draw me a picture of how this sprint made you feel. You know, you get a couple of the team that just put smiley faces on the pictures. Others that actually drew things about how they felt trapped in this particular world because they the way they were working. And then it enabled them. They they'd, they'd expressed themselves in the picture. They were then able to articulate that. And we were able to have the discussion about how we can move forward from that. And then when we moved on to the main part of the retrospective, instead of doing the usual what went well, what didn't go well, what can we improve, what should we stop, et cetera, we did what's called the Goldilocks and the Three Bears retrospective, which is basically a timeline retrospective where you draw out a timeline of the, of the project or the sprint I think it was a full project retrospective at this point. You put a timeline along um, a whiteboard and you put post-it notes along the process of what happened at which point and you talk about the milestones of the work, not necessarily the delivery milestones, but the key bits of work that happened at which points. And then you associate the feelings of how you felt and the things that went wrong and the infrastructure issues and you pin it all on the board and you can very clearly see where the issues happened, whether there was any correlation between when the issues happened and when there was a dip in productivity or whatever else. And actually, we came out with a whole list of items we wanted to investigate further in action. So that, for me, was a very successful retrospective, purely because I changed it up and people were talking, people were discussing. On the personal side, the only personal retrospective I've ever done, really, I probably should do another one, was um, when I was thinking about leaving the job I'd been in for 12 years, I then spent some time reflecting on what I actually valued and I developed my personal testing values and my personal leadership values as part of that process. And that enabled me to then think about what I actually wanted to look for in my next role and made me confirm the decision that I wanted to leave. That was a very powerful retrospective for myself to do that at that point and actually spend the time invested in myself to work out what I valued. And that's that's held me in good stead since, to be fair.
2: Now, I was just going to say that you hit something there, uh, Simon. We talked about struggling to get people to partake in and things. And changing up is one of the great ways of doing it. The example that you use, which is about how you feel, something that is personal, is you know, how everyone responded to a, a period of time, be it a project, a sprint. It's a great way to get people to start opening up. It may not open up far, but it starts. They have to show their picture. They have to tell you what they did. Build a Lego model of something that you need to do. Again, that's a bit harder now when everyone's at home. I haven't got Lego with me. It's a bit more logistical. Drawing a picture, showing it on a screen in front of you when you're showing your notebook it's a great way to get everyone to undo their camera temporarily or to get conversations started it's something I definitely recommend in terms of great experiences of retrospectives it's once I've got people that moving literally walking around the room rather than sat at a desk and talking so putting flip chart paper on the wall getting them to actually write on post-it notes and stick them on the wall um, that sort of thing getting the do pictures anything that kind of gets them active rather than just sat around a desk on top of that cake cake <laughs> motivates people definitely agree with
1: that in this current world now obviously we'll, we should probably talk about what applications maybe we can use whiteboarding apps or, or retrospective apps that we we think probably can help sort of bridge that gap and we we as a group have been using metro retro or as the geordies say
2: metro retro
1: perfect you know those things are important i miss having the group and the engagement those things But these apps can provide fun Mm. and it possibly places more emphasis on the facilitator to keep it engaging. I would deem any retrospective a success if we've had engagement from everyone and the conversation has been flowing. It hasn't been dominated by a handful of people Mm. where people have been raising notes or post-its or whichever format we've been doing and it has flowed and it hasn't felt like it has dragged. When I've done personal retrospectives, I haven't used those whiteboarding tools mostly because I've just been sat there thinking, maybe I've written some notes, maybe I've used a mind map or i have answered some questions. For me, that was fundamental in sort of progressing my career because I was actually asked in a one-to-one about what I wanted to do. And I'd done a personal retrospective and was able to pull it up on my phone and talk it through with my manager at the time. It was a very powerful tool for me to be able to actually articulate myself, but maybe in a one-to-one where I didn't feel like I could do those things because I had that with me, I was able to action it. I think we've come to the end of our time for today. And I know everyone's very sad about that.
2: We will reflect on this episode.
1: We? We, shall, we shall reflect on this episode, and I, I do thank everybody for joining us on our talk about retrospectives. We do actually, as a group, do retrospectives. We've done two to date, and we continue to do those things. We need to work out how we're going to articulate them publicly. Please rest assured that we are trying to get better at what we are doing. We have now have these lovely new microphones, which was a retrospective point from our first retrospective. We wanted to, to be able to improve the audio, and I hope you've noticed these things going forwards. And on that note, there is a special thank you to Safin QA for supporting us, and also to our patrons. And if you do want to support us on Patreon, please do visit patreon.com slash and if you want to engage with us talk more about retrospectives or anything to do with the pod perhaps if you found a hilarious quote that somebody said then do reach out to us on LinkedIn or Twitter and if I actually pull my finger out our Instagram search for testing peers, you will find us there we will endeavour to get back to you we also have an email address Contact us at testingpeers.com on the website testingpeers.com. We're kind of trying to be everywhere. Please get in touch. Please listen, rate, subscribe, share with your friends. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you again soon. For now,
3: it's goodbye from the testing peers. Goodbye. goodbye.